Hello and welcome to the program, Woke Up, where we interview and we hear the stories and we amplify the voices of those who were seduced by today's critical social justice and woke ideology and how that impacted their life and their worldview and, and their story of uh, liberation and getting freed up from a different mindset and what their story is. And so we, we uh, have an incredible guest. His name is uh, Dr. Joel Brown, who's out of uh, Bradford, England, and he's become somewhat of a Twitter f phenomenon. Uh, he, he tweets a lot about the culture issues and the mindset and has some really pithy comments and, and uh, really concise, and they make a lot of sense. And so I want to introduce Joel. Doctor, welcome to the show. <laughs> Thank you so much for, for that warm introduction. It's a, really a pleasure to be here. So we want to hear from you. Just tell us your story. You take over and you just say like how you grew up a little bit and then get into uh, relatively quickly how you were seduced by the ideology and what became of yourself. Yeah, thank you. So, um, you know, as uh, <laughs> I think it's worth me starting at the beginning, but I'll quickly, you know, get to the <laughs> Please. Really, yeah, I was born in Jamaica. <laughs> Um, you know, grew up uh, with uh, you know two loving parents, Christian parents, in a in a fairly conservative home. Uh, loved growing up in the in the islands, and you know, and uh, we frequently went to the states actually as a family at summer holidays. So I, I was connected, but mostly Florida. And then we uh, you know relocated to uh, to England. Um, you know, in the in the sort of uh, in the kind of early two thousands, and that was uh, just an interesting culture shock transition uh, to moving from Jamaica to. To the UK and figuring out um, what life uh, there would be like. Uh, did my A levels, went off to medical school, and um, you know, as I said, completed my years in university. And then, um, you know, after that, you know, found um, my my lovely wife, and uh, we got married. And um, you know, start you know, started on the journey of of having children. So I'm, you know, with two kids in, and, and that's that's where that's where God has blessed us. But um, you know, round about the I say half, maybe about a few months after you know having my first child, I would say that I I started on a, a journey of really trying to kind of figure out uh, some 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 troubling. My my mind was troubled about about a few things in the world that started to become as as the, the term woke interestingly got you know introduced to me probably around that time because it's this it's uh, it, the term itself originates from more of a Black American expression which uh, is supposed to be um, a kind of a, awareness about racism and, and and the problem of of race especially uh, people who are. Uh, you know, racialized as black, having, you know, having experiences, negative experiences, whether interactions with the police or maybe um, unfair treatment at work, that sort of thing. So I, up until that point, um, I, I hadn't been very much aware. I didn't particularly care about, about that. I just kind of got on with my life. I you know, been able to get into university and other things without uh, any particular, you know, um, block, you know, from doing so. And so for me, it was really, um, you know, kind of uh, an awareness of what other people's experiences, what other people would say, whether, you know, those who are racialized as black or other, uh, what we call here in the UK, ethnic minorities, because, you know, the 
population here in the UK is majority white. And, um, and I remembered ha having a few interactions at work that were uh, less than pleasant, negative, uh, you know, with either seniors or other colleagues and, and started, I think I became more and more aware of, of the, there was this need to be able to explain any interaction, negative interactions or conflict, um, you know, between myself and, and others, especially if they, those others were, were, were white, that, you know, perhaps racism would be uh, somewhere lurking in the mix as an explanation. It certainly felt satisfactory to kind of justify um, some of these negative interactions in that way. And so slowly and surely, um, I, I became more and more absorbed into that, into this idea that there, you know, it became appealing to me to explain that the world was, was sort of fractured into these, uh, the, the, this kind of divide around around power structures, around so whether that related to race and the idea that, um, you know, white people uh, held a, a special kind of privilege in the world, and they and anywhere they would go in the world, they would, you know, sort of presume themselves, you know, dominant and want to, uh, you know, somehow press those around them and so therefore those who you know were not white uh you know had life somehow stacked against them and as, as it's you know it's a sense in which i had to be able to see myself as under the thumb of the white man you know as a, as a way of that's the that's the framing of the world and i have to see myself in sort of constant kind of um you know rallying against this and so i think in summary, really what started to happen is that that lens started to, uh, you know, frame so much of, um, of the way that I started to view people, even people who I was, who happened to be white, I'd known them for years, I'd started to become more suspicious about their intentions, and then you know, for me, just to really try, because there's so many trajectories we could go on, but I wanted to kind of paint the picture of what was starting to happen um, as someone who grew up in a conservative home, who grew up in a home where, you know, that was shown and demonstrated the love of Christ and the unity that we have in Christ, uh, that we're all, you know, one in Christ, regardless of our backgrounds, whether, you know, as the scripture talks about, whether Jew or Greek, we're one in Christ. But somehow uh, my mind started to become more divided in the way that I would start to 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 look at other people, including within the church. So even though I was still very much in the church at this point, I, I became more hyper aware of, of of race being very very important and seeing you know for instance the black church as 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 you know needing to be either separate or be considered considered uh, at least distinct from from say the white church and so it was subtle but there was a sense in which uh, there's this kind of racialized ideological view of the world slowly started to compromise the foundations that I think I had from you know set from from the example of of, of how church and kingdom was, you know, growing up. So really quickly, fast forwarding again, um, I had- How, how long was that process of, 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 of owning the ideology instead of just thinking about it and ruminating about it? Like, was that over a period of a couple of months or did it take a period of time as it took over your, your world? Yeah, it was years because I think it's worth me mentioning that, you know, in terms of the context of Jamaica. So Jamaica- you know, of course, most people know was a colony of, of England and Jamaica got its independence in 1962. 
Um, and so the, the 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 makeup of the Jamaican population is majority, um, you know, black. We have an Indian and a, and a Chinese um, uh, subculture as well. And then there are people who live in Jamaica who are racialized as white, but they would certainly be the minority. Uh, and so the the feeling that there was a kind of racial hierarchy, there wasn't that really understanding in in the culture in the context of Jamaica. There were black doctors, lawyers, you know, the prime minister of the country is black. So this kind of hyper racial awareness wasn't something I grew up with in my formative years. It wasn't until I was in my teens in the UK, gone through my formative years of schooling in terms of and then and university that I became more hit to or aware of racial dynamics and it being necessary to see the world in that way. And it wasn't until I would say I was in my, because as I said, went to the, came to the UK, I was 16. I got married in my kind of mid twenties and it wasn't until sort of mid, you know, mid to late, yeah, mid twenties really that I became very much immersed in that view. And then what began to happen in your life uh, as it took over? So honestly, the, the initially there was a sense in which I felt, I felt that my racial identity became became so much more important to me. Slowly but surely, I felt who I was as as a as a black man, as a part of a kind of um, a politic, a way of seeing or the black struggle, you know, the, the, the racial struggle, that became slowly more important to me than any other identity, um, in, including my, my Christian identity. And, and there were points where I felt the need to, to embrace both and say, look, there's nothing wrong with saying I'm a black man and I'm a Christian man, but that, that they had to be um, a sense in which they were both equally important and one one should not be jettisoned for the other. There was that initial compromise. But if I'm honest, it started to, um, my black identity started to overcome and uh, and almost subdue the Christian identity. Yeah, that is uh, a real big thing with uh, this ideology. You, you look at even in the trans movement or queer, uh, this hyper sensitivity to respect my pronoun or how dare that person use my dead name because I've changed my name. And I, or in the, in the, in the idea of uh, the critical theories, it's, it's like an anger response. Like for instance, yeah. my name for many, many years was I went by Mike and then I had a spiritual experience and I changed it to Michael. And I, you know, sometimes people call me Mike still. And I said, well, I prefer Michael, but I'm not angry about it. And I, hmm. I'm not, it's, it's not like that's, that's my old name or anything. So hmm. I think there's this whole issue of identity and how yeah. you identify yourself based on your intersectionality or your victim class yeah. or how you've been oppressed versus yeah. an identity of we are all sinners and we're all children of God. Yeah. And, and we start, we start with that. And out of that, we, we, respect and care for each other but this this whole ideology is so and anti antithetical to uh the truth or from a biblical perspective or what god might be doing in the earth to bring that he loves all of his children equally and we've moved away from that baseline so i i want you to free up a little bit and and keep talking more about identity and some of the things that you're experiencing i just want to throw that in there 
Yeah, I, I wanted to really respond to that. You, you certainly prompted me to um, tell you a little story about an experience I had. I remembered um, once when I had, you know, I'd looked in the mirror um, and I was, you know, I was shaving my, my, you know, my beard and I remembered looking in the mirror and saying my name, Joel Brown, out, out loud. And I looked and I thought, why is it that I, I don't, the the face I see doesn't seem to correspond with that with that name and a part of what was going on there when you talk about identity this deep sense of you know who who am I because part of the history of understanding um, how how people were named um, in in for instance in in post colonial societies there was a sense in which and and of course there's a historical truth to the fact that. That um, that enslaved people oftentimes took the names of of those of the of those who enslaved them as part if they were if you were part of a plantation for instance if your ancestors were part of a plantation and that the person who uh, had that name uh, was happened to be brown then 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 of course those who were enslaved and owned by by Mr Brown would would oftentimes take. Um, take that name and that would become their surname. And so there was this notion where I, I started to somehow wrestle, even though I'm how many hundreds of years removed from, 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 that, from that legacy, it was like I felt this fear of, 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 like, of who, like somehow I need to now um, not feel like I, I can attach myself to this name or this name doesn't represent who I really am because of 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 this uh, of this history of the possibility that that this name that I've inherited from my father who inherited it from his father ultimately came from someone who um, subjugated you know uh, an enslaved person and that was something that I wrestled with now so I think we can acknowledge the reality of that history and that legacy but the problem when I now, how many hundreds of years removed from that, I feel like I have to, um, I, I have to carry vicariously this frustration about the the connection that that you know that this name has to that legacy, and it now it, that now means that because it, it it caused me a lot of anxiety to the point that I wanted to change my name. Now, interesting, you gave that story about you changing your name because of a spiritual experience. You were called Mike, and now you became Michael. And there's nothing wrong intrinsically with people wanting to change their name because they, for whatever reason, emotionally, spiritually, that's not the issue. I, I just, but I think the point about identity. And and finding yourself somehow um, because I wanted to in this, in essence I wanted to be able to find some way to anchor my identity and and the frustration about the past became a distraction and it became something that I that, that was consumed by and I think that the the problem you, when we talk about um, when we when we have this insecurity about our identity. I think we're prime subjects for an ideology to come along, snatch us up, create a lot of anxiety and distract us with pursuing ways to anchor our identity in, in, in things or ideas that, that ultimately are, are, are not healthy. And they become obsessions and they can draw us away and lead us into pursuing things that are, I think, are, are help, unhelpful for our, soul, our souls. And I think certainly that that was that was part of 
um, my experience, and I think part of the experience of some of the other people that you've mentioned, other people who seem to be so uh, possessed by the pursuit of, um, you know, try, trying to build their identity in something um, and something beyond what I feel, per perhaps if I could say for myself, the identity that we have in Christ is such a beautiful, um, you know, I think a beautiful substantive um, basis for identity. Um, and but we could talk. We could talk a little bit about more about that. I'm sure. Yeah, I would even say like the identity of being an ally. I mean, that's like many people are taking on the mantle of allyship, and that's my identity now. So, but we'll mm. move on. So, so what began to happen, and uh, yeah, that uh, uh, self awareness in the mirror. And yeah. uh, how are your relationships beginning to be affected besides those friends that you speak again to look at differently? And what happened to your, your joy and your, your, your zeal for life that you have right now? What, what, what was going on? Oh man. Oh man. So I, I will say what I noticed, there was a, there was a bitterness. There was a, a lot of, a lot of resentment that I, um, that I just found myself drawn to. It felt hope just just evaporated there was this feeling that despite the fact that here i am with an opportunity here in the uk uh you know i've applied myself i was you know fairly good at school i got a chance to become a doctor and all of this but despite all of the the achievement i carried so much um frustration it was and it was vicarious because as i said i'll be honest with you I did not, I've never had anyone call me the N-word, um, or I'm not su suggesting that's the only way that racism can manifest, but certainly here in the UK, uh, I've had negative experiences, uh, but I've not, I didn't walk around with personal experience of, you know, kind of racial, um, you know, trauma, but I became so much more aware that I needed to carry the burden of, of those who are either experiencing it currently or historically. Um, and so as a result of that, I just began, you know, using social media, primarily Facebook at the time to really start to talk a lot more about, um, you know, you know, white guilt and white people need to be much more, um, you know, to, you need to talk about the racist past much more and accept their own racism. And so then if you fast forward to, to George Floyd and, uh, you know, what happened there and how the whole kind of Black Lives Matter movement erupted on the scene, I mean, I very much became vocal um, and, uh, and I guess quite, and if I'm honest, quite harsh towards Christian friends um, you know, people who, who who were you know racialized as white, who I felt weren't saying enough about racism, because at that point, uh, you know, I, I felt that they were complicit, really, in 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 um, in not bringing and highlighting and using their privilege, as it were, to to speak to uh, one of these issues that burdened me. And and again, it's not it's not to say that racism. Um, you know, wasn't, or not, now looking back saying that racism wasn't important or something that, that shouldn't have uh, been been discussed, but it was the, it was the, the vindictive sense that I had. And you talked about, you asked the question about how it was affecting my relationships. I mean, I, I've, I have friends that I'd known for, for 20 years that I pushed away because I was just, I just felt so disappointed by how, you know, 
that they didn't they didn't seem to want to engage they didn't seem to want to use their privilege to speak to these matters and so that was sufficient to um to push them away i've got family in america at the time i remember some of them voted for trump around his first um you know when, when he you know was elected and when they voiced that and i expressed frustration frustration and disdain for them um towards them and you know and and at that point just to highlight my i you know i've kind of not touched on it but i went through a faith crisis simultaneously with all of this because like i said my my racial identity just began to usurp everything else um and i found a way of justifying pushing away christianity because for me I couldn't separate or assume that Christian, um, the, the the spreading of the Christian message, um, you know, certainly in in Jamaica around the time of, um, you know, when when I guess when the transatlantic slave trade happened, um, you know, I, 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 in my mind I was like, well, Christianity is complicit with the slave trade, and so you know, by embracing by moving away from Christ, I'm somehow, um, you know. This is the right thing for me to distance myself from from a, a system of colonization. This was the way that I I tried to justify it intellectually, but really in my heart of hearts, I, I wanted to just have. I didn't I didn't want to have the, um, the best way of framing this. I didn't want to have the responsibility or the the accountability of 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 you know of God because at the time as well, I just I, I was infused by the sense to want to rebel. I wanted to rebel against anything that I thought um, contributed to a society where, you know, what, where, whatever, where the, where, where the West or the Western kind of imperialist structures. I, I can, I could talk about this because I, I embrace this idea, these ideas so strongly. Um, and I'm, I'm just, you know, as I said, it just led to chaos, it led to breakdown of relationships, um, depression, um, really bad depression and anxiety and anger a lot of a lot of anger a lot of anger a lot of resentment i would um I'll, I'll be honest i just did not like white people i just did i felt that i felt that white people carried um the it's almost like as if i I, 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 and I wouldn't, if I was asked this at the time, I wouldn't be able to be this honest about, about it because it's like, oh, you know, it's there, there's lots of ways that we obfuscate, um, you know, saying uh, how we really feel about whoever we think is privileged. So whether it's, you know, it's cis people uh, or, or heterosexual people, you ask the people who are activists against them that say things like, oh, you know, it's, it's not that we hate those people, it's just that we, we need to contend for those who are oppressed. And because we are contending for the oppressed, it sounds like we're, we're saying we, we hate them. But, um, but it, in all honesty, there, there was this, the idea, the ideology, made me think it justified to say, "Well, people who carry white privilege um, do so. Uh, you know, it's unearned. They've, you know, for instance, they live in a society and they have access to general um, assumptions that they are good people versus people who are non-white have to carry the assumption that they are." 
bad people um, unless proven otherwise. And so I just, that, that resentment or that sort of envy or kind of jealousy started to, you know, it, it affected the way that I would interact um, with, you know, with, with, yeah, with, with white people. And, and I'm just so grateful well, as, as we'll, you know, get on to, you know, for that to be relinquished of, of that, of that resentment. And were you looking at yourself as a victim of this at all? Were you taking a victimization or? Yeah, great question. And I mean, and I think I always try to, to, to speak honestly about the difference between being a victim and victimhood. There are people, there are groups of people who have experienced awful things mm. and have been victims of, of horrific things historically and currently. Um, and when those people experience pain as a result of that or frustration, um, I think people who've, who've experienced or who have been victimized in some way need support, need and ultimately need healing from the trauma that they've experienced and that that that's that's that can be true but simultaneously victims can also unfortunately be come beholden to the idea that they are a victim and they embrace that almost as as an identity in itself this idea, for instance, that you're the oppressed race. Okay, so this is something that I I have to see the world through the lens that I'm oppressed, that I am I'm disadvantaged, that by the mere color of my skin or the mere experience of my ancestors before me, this is the ceiling of life that I can um, that I can't get beyond. And I'm it's tragic that I think that even as someone who has gifting, who has ability, who is intellectually able, who's had a chance and opportunity to come abroad and leave, you know, and, and study and all the rest of it. I'm an example of someone who could have lost so much of that opportunity because I, I, the need to embrace the narrative of victimhood was so enticing, was so, uh, compelling and persuasive and and I I'm grateful now that I'm able to see it with such clarity and why I speak about victimhood um, you know because I think that ideologies like the kind of Marxist notion that that almost give language to this idea that that victims are or, or that that victimhood is, is 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 it basically legitimizes it. It makes it concrete. It makes it something that must almost be embraced and 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 seen as an identity. And I actually think it's dangerous, especially because of that. And because people who have been victimized will latch on to that much more than they will latch on to the idea that I can overcome this. I can be a victor over my experiences. Oh, that's excellent. Yeah, I, I do notice that you tweet an awful lot about about uh, avoiding uh, the putting on the mantle of victim it's, it just yeah. seems like that's a, a consistent thread that you that you that you post regularly and so w what happened i mean it seems like you you slowly were seduced by this ideology you you took yeah. it on 
you lived it, it began to affect you. This was a, a slow process. And yeah. then it began to affect your personality and relationships and your worldview, your relationship with God, uh, great yeah. friends. Yeah. Uh, what, but you seem like a completely different person than the person that you're describing is, is, I know. is short time ago, is two and a half years ago, three years ago. So yeah. like, what, what happened? <laughs> I know. And, and I, I, I'm grateful that you put it that way because I really do believe that I've, I've uh, you know become a different person, um, and I think such is the nature of of uh, of victimhood ideology. You embrace um, a, a way of seeing the world that ultimately transforms who you are, uh, and you 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 become um, you essentially become that. You become mm -hmm. so cynical, um, and um, and and so for me. I I found myself becoming nihilistic. Um, it, it was just because rage and and resentment and feeling like there is no point, there is there is no hope. Um, and you know, and, and I'll be honest, at the bottom of it all, there were days where I didn't feel like I wanted to live anymore. But definitely, you know, I know that's a, a dark thing to say, but I just felt about the need to be really honest. That was that was those were the thoughts that were pervading my mind at the time. Um, and you know, this despite having so much to live for, despite having so much I'd I'd still achieved on paper and being, you know, still married and and at the time, I mean, my wife won't mind me saying, you know, it was really difficult even in our marriage because I just I was so I was so um openly uh caustic about faith, um and it's you know, Christian faith, and she held on to her faith during that time and continued to pray for me despite my uh, animosity towards her and her faith um and you know and continued to uh, you know just just love me despite the fact that i was trying to you know push away close friends who cared for me and saw what was happening to me and in a sense were desperately wanting to reach out to me but i just wouldn't respond i just wouldn't respond to their calls text messages and so when you asked me you know what happened i, I really got to a point where I had crystal awareness that I mean I'm reminded of the story of of the of the prodigal son. I think I had my moment where I had hit that rock bottom spiritually um, where I became so um, I guess the, the, the awareness of how darkened my heart had become how how, how it just it, and that how much it, my my friendships and my, my you know even the connection with my family was just so uh, you know so degraded and, and and I just thought to myself what where how how you know how how have I ended up here um, and had a had a real kind of moment of um, of reckoning but that it wasn't that wasn't the moment that everything disappeared but I I remembered being able to have a clarity of vision um <clears throat> the jadedness was was lifted where it was able to see the reality of of the disconnect between the potential so much of the potential that i had in me and um in versus where things were and i'm like this this can't this can't be um and i you know as i said i i had I had that moment of, you know, realization. 
I found myself staring, um, you know, staring in, as I said, staring into the abyss of my own heart, my own life. And, and I, and I just really saw spiritually what it all represented in, in a, you know, just, just so clearly just how I had become, you know, I'd so shifted away from the notion of seeing myself in Christ as called out to be the light of the world, to to be uh, the city on a hill, to be a um, a source of of hope, to be to be the love, to be the hands and feet of Christ, and I'd just gone to a place where I was just completely consumed by re resentment, even though I thought in my own mind this was the purpose behind it was because this is what this is what history has done, this is what you know white people have done, and and we need to um, to you know fix this through activism, and and it's fine. And as I said, justice is in the heart of God as well. Whatever is wrong in the world, whatever is has been, um, you know done wrong that i do believe that that god wants uh wants to equip the the body the body of christ to engage in the right way to be able to address whatever the the injustices are but it's the mechanism and the the methodology of that kind of resentment fueled um activism that that left me in a place where i was lost and thankfully um as i said i believe the holy spirit you know, prompted my heart to to um to really just come back to him, to come back to to the Lord. And um there were several moments of uh of repentance, of self-examination, opening the scriptures again, having not done that for for some time. And I and, and I just thought I'd mention because part of this journey, it's as I said, it's an in, it's an interweaving because I did have a moment where I had started to come back to church before I'd completely, um, you know, left the ideology behind. I was still holding on to the victimhood, and I tried to come back to church because I felt I had this moment of returning, of reckoning, but I still wanted to hold on to the ideology. And and so I, I, I still struggled. I was still kind of very much Marxist, very very much having that ideology while still trying to, to hold on to Jesus. And until I recognized that actually, no, the ideology itself needs to be relinquished. I, I can't keep holding on to this view of the world, this view of my brothers in Christ, this this notion and still claim that I'm I'm part of his church, part of his body. And so that's that's in a process of just honestly seeing it for what it is, relinquishing it. And that's why um, I'm just so grateful. That's uh, I I've been quiet because I did not want to say anything because I don't think I would articulate very well because I was wiping tears and was holding back. That is incredibly powerful, brother. Oh, thank anyway, you. Anyway, uh, you know, I do look at this as a mind virus. It affects the mind and everything. And your deliverance was found through a renewal of your faith and a repentance of your worldview and, yeah. and a real spiritual uh, encounter with, with God. Yeah. Uh, but, but I, you know, a lot of people, they leave uh, not necessarily, even though I think God's in control of everything and God's leading them, uh, what they say oftentimes is they find the, in, the, 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 the contradictions within the ideology itself and, and the, in the hypocrisy. And then over time uh, they lay it down because they realize this is uh, kind of 
insane. It's caused me a lot of, a lot of damage and a lot of, a lot of harm. Yeah. And so, uh, how long ago was that when you, where you felt like I'm, I'm free indeed. My mind, my worldview has changed. Like, is that, it must've been a relatively recent phenomenon. Yeah. This is, this is pretty recent. This is what, I mean, bear in mind, I only started, uh, cause we found each other on Twitter. I started using Twitter the second time around because I had a Twitter account, an old one that I really wasn't using much because as I said, most of my leftist uh, sort of, you know, activism was was on Facebook. Um, and um, and so I, I left, left Twitter, I de deactivated my account previously. So I restarted a Twitter account only last February, new, brand new account. And at that point, I would say that my mindset was, you know what, I've been... I've, I'd already recognized that much of this ideology had just derailed me, polluted me, and I was actively back in church around February last year. But I wasn't. I decided I didn't want to talk about politics anymore. I just, you know, I'm a medical doctor. I just wanted to just use Twitter to have conversations in the medical community. If you go back to my Twitter account, it's quite easily there. You'll see there was very little, if any, discussion about politics, race, religion. I just used it to talk about medicine. And then it was until roughly just the latter part of last year, probably back end of November, I really started to feel a, a pulling. I started to feel a release towards there's something about my story that I think will resonate with some people who've gone on this journey, who I feel maybe God might give me the opportunity to speak to. But I didn't, I didn't necessarily know how I was going to go about doing that, but I just felt a release. To, so I started to tweet a little bit and talk. And then December time, some of my posts just kind of just went, went viral. Big accounts were just sharing it here, there. And everywhere, I mean, counts with millions of followers, people I didn't know were just resonating with what I was sharing about the ideology, race, and, and the ways in which we're just so divided on this issue. And some of my reflections and thoughts on, on this, um, I've not studied any degree in any of this stuff. My, my, you know, my, my area where I'm equipped and, and, and I guess consider myself as someone who's trained as, in, as a family physician, but I just, just talked honestly about my experiences and how I was captivated in that. And as I said, it's, it's a short time, but I felt so compelled to share because I saw how much danger and damage it brought to my life that I felt I needed to, to speak. And some people challenged me. Some said, look, you only just changed your, your mind. Why are you coming in talking about it? And I could have, I could have just left and just not bothered to engage anymore. But I genuinely, hand on heart, felt that, and I wasn't looking, this is not a grift. This is not me trying to, you know, convince um, people so I can make money out of this. Is, you know I mean? As I said, I'm very comfortable as a medical doctor. That's the money, I, I, what I make from that pays my bills and I'm happy. But there was a sense that I felt I wanted to, to help to, to just shed, um, shed light on my experience and hopefully that it would inspire others to look at their own lives and to see, um, you know, if they're captivated by this ideology that, it, that it, it is dangerous or hopefully for those who maybe are on the verge of falling, uh, falling prey to it, that they might, the Lord might use my story to, to protect them. 
I, I just, I don't, the thought that's coming into my mind is like, God is funny. He's got a great sense of humor. Who would yeah. have thought in the space that you were at just a few years ago with suicidal ideations, depression, anger, resentment, victimization, where you were at, uh, interrupting relationships, tension with your wife, that within such a short time, you would have, you'd be speaking out against that ideology and going viral and getting like a global presence with tens of thousands of people following you and certain, yeah. I mean, to me, that's pretty funny the, 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 yeah. how, how the how sovereign God could, could use even us. He, he is. And, and, and um, I mean, I'm just, I'm feeling a little bit overwhelmed in this moment because I'm just, I feel the presence of God and I just feel God, thank you. And I honor you because this is not about, me i'm not trying to platform myself i believe i serve a god who is sovereign i believe i serve, serve a god who loves um who loves people he loves us and he doesn't view us through the lens of race he views us as his as his children and there's so many people who are caught and trapped in this because they've been they've been indoctrinated by a society that has been so obsessed about um, you know about these about these ideas and these and and it and it dis detracts from the core of who we are and the mission. I believe that we're here we're here to to do the work. I believe as Christians, that's my that's my mission to do the work of the gospel to share people the truth that we are loved by God dearly. We have fallen prey to all manners of idols. You know, it's whether it's the idol of racial identity, whether it's the idol of sexual identity. A rebellion um, against God for what for just so many things and it comes right back down to this God loves us and wants us to come home to him to surrender our lives to him to not hold on to resentment to not hold on to to what you may have gone through is real trust me it's real but I believe that Jesus loves you and wants to pull you through and to, to heal your heart, to give you hope to believe again, to give you hope to live a life of fully, uh, a life of prosper, to prosper, to do well. And I don't want you to be trapped in that like I was. I want you to have the joy. I have joy. I love life. I love, I genuinely feel like I love all people, white, black, you name it. I don't see myself as a victim of life. I've had my own experiences, negative and positive, but I'm so grateful that Jesus loves me and has empowered me to live a life that I can go out there in the world and love people and help to build a better life for, for more, you know, for, for others as well. So uh, when I started this uh, venture, uh, just felt like personally, I wanted to just have a voice in the society against it. I could have just sat back and said, Oh, things are getting bad. The Bible says it's going to happen. And, and just for me personally, uh, I am a Christian. I'm not necessarily directly trying to proselytize anyone, even though I do believe it's the truth in terms of religion. I yeah. just want to help people, you know, whether they're Christians or not. Uh, yeah. And and I had three goals, and I'm, I'm trying to maintain uh, my three goals. And I was wondering if you can maybe speak into these three uh, and help strengthen what the purpose of the show is. And yeah. Uh, there's three categories of people. One are young people or ideal, idealistic people that want to be used. They want to fight against injustice. They want to help the marginalized and disenfranchised. Mm -hmm. And 
uh, just to give them some tools to not adopt this as a, as a worldview and yeah. to encourage them. And then those that are in it right now that mm -hmm. are locked up as you were a few years ago mm -hmm. to give them uh not that they're going to win an argument. It took you time to, to release it, as you said, even though God was leading you. Mm -hmm. Not uh, James Lindsay, who's influenced me a lot, who I who I admire because you know he he does a lot of teachings on on this. He was asked in a conference that I was at uh, if he if he's ever won a debate, and he says you can't win a debate. You can't win a debate with these with with these people when they're in that mindset. And so people that are in it, maybe give them something to think about if they would listen uh, to, to maybe help them. And then mm -hmm. third, uh, a word of encouragement to people that haven't bought into it, but have been affected uh, losing their jobs or family uh, problems or church divisions or yeah. this ubiquitous thing that's going on. Uh, what would you say as an encouragement to those people, uh, what they can do and what they should be doing and, and so that they have hope for the future as well? Yeah, great, great, um, great point. What I will say to the first group of those who, um, like you said, just want to be able to be the change they want to see in the world. They want to be able to see, um, if they see something that's wrong, they see an injustice, they want to be, uh, you know, be used or be helpful to, to right the wrongs. What I will say is this. I believe with all my heart that, Part one, an important thing to do when you recognize that there are things in the world that aren't right is I think that most things don't just have a slick, quick fix, uh, one explanation that, that eloquently explains that problem in society and a means by which um, a policy will just solve it straight away. Part of the problem with some of the ideologies that have come forth, whether intersectionality, critical race theory, is that they there are academic ideas that have been um, synthesized that hope to. Um, I think that they are they create in this in their in their way of trying to conceive and explain the problem, and then obviously their vision for what the world should look like. Um, is quite idealistic. Uh, it, it's quite um, reductive. It doesn't. It, and it appeals because it's like socialism. It sounds great on paper, but in practice, in a fallen world, in a world, oftentimes these 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 elegant solutions don't pan out. And and those of us who want to help and want to make a difference can fall prey to them because they sound like they just create these incredible solutions, these really obvious solutions to these complex problems. And that's just not how it works. And I'm not trying to be patronizing because I've been there, I've, I've, I've absorbed or found myself chasing these ideas and being disappointed by the, the how, how they actually play out in the real world. I do believe that it's a good thing to want to help people. I believe that uh, it, in a society, the way that looks can be can be different. I do believe in the value of of, of charity. I do believe in the in the value of of even, for instance, how how societies organize themselves, ways that one can um, play their part. You know, funny funny thing. I remember when I became when I was at the height of uh, being in this sort of way of viewing the world, 
and I and I found myself being so critical of missionaries because I used to say, oh, these people, these Christians go into these parts of the world and all they're really interested in is spreading their particular message. And actually, interestingly, while yes, missionaries often did go into parts of the world and, and, and you know, to share the gospel as their, as their, you know, their, as their aim, but a lot of missionaries were involved in helping communities that were disenfranchised as well to help schools, to help set up, um, you know, infrastructure and so on. So to, to um, I think sometimes the the way your one's ideology can can make you see things in a way um, and be uh, be cynical of even other opportunities that you can get involved to act on the impulse to want to help, whether that's through a local church, whether that's through a community organization. There are ways to engage the troubles in the world without necessarily having to give in to an ideology that that cultivates resentment, blaming of entire races or groups of people, that path is not the only means to being able to express the sentiment or the desire to be, um, you know, to be charitable, to be helpful uh, to, do, to those who struggle in the world. So that would be how I would frame that to that group. To the group who may feel that they are in this and feel like this is the only way to see the world and they feel sort of um, perhaps committed to those ideas. I understand. I've been there. If you spoke to me, you know, two two years ago, three years ago, would have been probably some of the height. Certainly around the time of, uh, you know, when the Black Lives Matter movement exploded. You know, it was interestingly at the time I started to see glimpses that the ideology itself can be separated from the the intention or the the good for instance even if we say police brutality or we want to talk about uh, are there ways that we can have a, a conversation about the impact on um the, the impact of policing in certain communities and the perception that some people may feel that the police are harsher than they need to be that question or that concept of wanting to engage in that dialogue in itself is not a bad thing. It's the way that it's framed and some of these ideologies frame them in such a, a negative uh, way towards one group. So for instance, the police are all bad, they're all white supremacists and the, the language used to um, that, that is that I've oftentimes and I've been around many of these um, in these groups having these conversations about um, you know police brutality and, and the way that the police are framed as the automatic enemy um, and, and so and, and and that's my challenge is where if if even when I was in court caught up in it fully uh, if I was honest there were moments where I started to see that actually if we enter this conversation with this assumption that one person is absolutely bad, the epitome of badness, and the other, and, and, and then the other group in the conflict are good. You you, you really set yourself up to, um, to, to not be able to have a helpful conversation and a dialogue towards real solutions. And so, I my thought I would really put to to those who who are kind of very much welded in this in this thinking is to just be be a bit open to to look at try to have dialogue with people who look at things differently, who may have similar goals, who want to see similar things, situations, relationships improve, um, and not just assume that the way that you frame the problem 
um, is the only way to frame it. And perhaps that could be just a place to start for you. And then lastly, the group who, I believe you said those who were uh, maybe negatively impacted um, by some of the fallout of, of the kind of walk ideology. Um, I know that there are people who've uh, had their families, you know, separated uh, by people who view things differently, whether it relates to sexuality, race, and, and there's just incredible amounts of division um, and and you just break down. And my, my, my thing I'd share from the bottom of my heart is that, you know, and, and I will have to link this to, to my faith, I really do believe um, in a God that wants to heal, a God that is willing to heal and to restore um, those who've been, you know, uh, whose relationships and livelihoods have been destroyed by this. I'm not, one thing I've been delivered from is, is pessimism, is a hopelessness. And I really found that God has helped me to, to trust and believe um, again in, in healing. And, you know, and even in my career as a physician, you know, I've, I've, I've seen how that, you know, the, the, the impact of my hope being, you know, rebirthed and rekindled, even impacting the way that I, I interact with my patients. And I would just say my prayer to you is, is to not allow the, um, and it's not easy, but not allow the, um, just the weight and the pressure and the frustration of, of just where things might feel, how hopeless they may mm. feel right now. But just to, to, you know, for those who are Christian, to trust and believe that, that God can restore I believe he can, and I believe I'm evidence that he can because relationships that I thought would never have survived what I've gone through, the way that I cut people off, I've had to reach out to people. It's not been easy, but I've had, I've had a, I've really had a, a sense of grace from a lot of people. Some people I've not been able to reach out to, and I've had to walk through the the difficulty of of that too so i'm not pretending like this is all easy and everything always falls back into place i'm just grateful for just knowing that one my relationship with god which i thought was irretrievable and <laughs> just did not think that i would be here today on this call you know talking about christ like you seriously that was just not on <laughs> I was absolutely not interested in Christianity whatsoever at one point. So as I said, just a total 180. Um, but, you know, that in itself is a miracle. But I've seen re um, restoration in so many relationships that were devastated as well. So that would be my encouragement. I'm, I tried my best to summarize to, to those groups, but be encouraged. Oh, that's that's excellent. And, and this has been a, an incredible uh, interview. And just really love your, you. I love your heart. And and uh, just pray for more prosperity for you and wisdom as you go forward and, and blessings and, the, and to really navigate what the, the mighty hand of God has over your life and, and where you're going and what you're doing. And so I do thank you. Uh, it's precious this time. And thank you for coming on the show. And so I'd like to give you the last word and tell people how they can get a hold of you and support you and uh, where, where are you giving your energies and uh, just a last word of exhortation. Yeah, thank you. Thank you again. And, and I really wanted to say this has been equally just so rewarding because conversations to me are so crucial, so important. 
much more. I mean, I love this. I love this fact that we've had this sit down and this dialogue, this heart to heart as two brothers for, for an audience to listen in and just for me to share my life and share my journey and just share how God's been good to me. But um, what I would say would be follow me on Twitter. That's the main place where I have much of my express some of my my views. Please share this video with with anyone who you think who, who could benefit um, from from hearing my story, hearing this conversation. And please reach out to me. I'm at uh, Joel Brown MD is my Twitter. I'm sure there'll be links in the description as well. Please send me a, a direct message uh, if you found any of what I've shared here. Uh, encouraging. If you have any questions, I'm willing to even talk to people who you feel might benefit from a one-on-one -on -one conversation. I'm willing to even try and see if I can find some capacity for that because I'm, I'm, I'm really here about the conversation. I'm really here to make an impact for Christ uh, and to help people to reconcile. So, I mean, where as, as is feasible with my schedule, I'm willing to really accommodate that. So that would be my, my thoughts. So just check me out on Twitter and share this video. And much love to you. Oh, well, thank you. And thank you so much for coming on the show. You're very welcome. Thank you for inviting me. Hey, one other thing, brother, we're, I'll cut this part out at the end, but uh, your uh, Bryn Jones uh, uh, 